unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel, and a return guest. And uh, I'm just going to chill out and listen to this conversation. And uh, David, hand it over to you. How are you doing today? Thanks, Nathan. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And I'm excited to hear the continuation of the conversation that we started last week. Yeah, Mike Janalis is back. And um, in case you don't remember, he's a serial entrepreneur who understands and is dependent upon the value of copy to really grow the business. When I first met Mike and we started working together about that was four years ago, I think. Uh, his main focus was copywriting, but he has built several seven and eight figure businesses from scratch with copy. And the business he runs now, he told me, is currently on track to generate eight figures of revenue per year in the next year or two or three. It's called Sanetris and uh, S A N E T R I S. And it has products and programs focused on health and wellness which should be in very high demand right now because it's something we all need, um, whether or not we've been hit by the virus, certainly mental health. He has at least 30 people on his staff, and Mike also has a personal story you might have heard about. If the name sounds familiar, you might remember one time Mike weighed 540 pounds. Uh, he said, nah, I don't want that anymore, and lost over 300, and he's down to 210 now, very svelte 210 pounds. Today, we're going to talk about something Mike has a lot of successful experience with besides losing weight, and that's taking what you know and turning it into a product that sells. And while we still have time, I'd like to tell you about something I have a lot of experience with myself, and that's it. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Mike, welcome back. Thanks for uh, coming. And, um, you know, the, uh, when the minute um, when we were talking about the minute you said productizing your knowledge, I said, that's an appealing idea. Uh, it could mean different things to different people. So to start, could you give us your definition of productizing your knowledge? Yeah, sure, man. Thanks for bringing me back on here. This is, we, had, we, we had so much fun. I'm you know, glad to be here again. Um, yeah, so for, for me, what I mean when I say productize your knowledge is, is actually more of a process. So how do you take what you know and and convert it into sort of like little pieces that can be sold and those different pieces range in price point and they range in purpose they range in your involvement and a lot of it has to do with also deciding who you are who you want to be and how much time you want to spend right these are all these factors um so for me it's just about okay how how do you so it's it's a, it's a combo of, of two big things the course side, obviously, or the, the taking 
your knowledge and converting it to informational packets of any type. And then secondly, too, thinking about that from a copywriting perspective and knowing how are people or, or you know, what are they going to want to pay for, right? I deal with this all the time. You know, I get asked, especially by family and friends, oh, I have this great idea. You think people will buy it? You know, they come to me and they, you know, because they know that I'm in this stuff and and I'm always like, I don't know. And they're shocked. You know, like, you don't know. You know, well, I don't know because I don't know. I don't know that audience. I don't know what you're trying to sell. But, you know, so there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that the, for, for me, it's like, okay, how do you take what's in your head, get it out and get it laid out into a structure that you can then sell to an audience that helps them achieve whatever goal it is they're trying to achieve? Okay. I, I think that's really good. Nice, concise definition. And um, you sort of touched on this, and of course, you know, you, you can't answer for, as you just said, for every market until you know certain things, but what would you say is the kind of knowledge that's good to productize and what isn't, both from the point of view of the marketer and the consumer? And you might want to add, if someone were to hire you to go in and tell them if it's a good idea or not, what are the different things you'd be looking at? Yeah, Sure. So I, I say this sort of half jokingly, and I feel like it's going to get me in trouble someday because it's one of those, but it's just the truth of it. I always talk about if you're looking for mass, mass market, you know, what are the things that we know people will always buy, always want? And I, I always, I basically say greed, lust, vanity, you know, mm-hmm. um, those are three of the biggest ones. And it sounds bad. That's sort of the negative connotation, but you could change it and say, instead of greed, you could say you want more. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. maybe that sounds better. Instead of lust, you could say connection, right? You want to connect with other people. <laughs> um, and, um, oh, you're good. <laughs> and instead of vanity, it would just be like being your best self, whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, that's how we would, I think that's how we present it. The, 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 I, oh, stop, stop, stop. I think you've just given a really good marketing lesson right there. And in case anyone didn't catch it, rewind the tape. Listen again. Please, please yeah. continue. That was excellent. Yeah. So, so I look for those three. If I hear any of those three, my ears kind of perk up because I know humans are going to always buy those things. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Eve was trying to find a better leaf that she could wear, you know, like. <laughs> You know, it's just, that's just the way we're built, right? We, we want to have these. Or things. maybe a lanolin covering. So yeah. it's a little more comfortable yeah. and sensuous. Yeah, exactly. So, so there, you know, there's always, there's always the, those kind of things. And um, so I, I look for those three, if you're going high volume. And then what I always kind of say is like the higher, the volume, sort of the cheaper, the entry point, right? Um, if, if the audience is there, if you have a huge audience, then when I come, it comes to, to productizing, you want to start with an easy in. Because also, the, the bigger the audience, guess what? The more the competition. And what does competition do? Drives down prices, right? So, so when, you're, when, when you have this, this huge audience, the benefit is you can move volume. The hard part is you have the most competition and you tend to have a lower common denominator customer. Which again sounds bad, but it's just my experience, you know. And and then, then th- thirdly, then you especially if you're if you're going to run paid ads, you need to extend the customer value 
to multiple funnels and multiple extended products. So that's, that's an extension of the productizing your knowledge uh, uh, framework. You know, um, I, I love all the things you said. I agree with every one of them. I also wonder what you think about this. Never really talked about it much, but it's something I've noticed. And I'm thinking especially here of information products and, and um, you know, the kind of things we're talking about, knowledge products. The lower the price point, the more the consumer demands superficial perfection, production values, smoothness, no typos, no, no blips or burps in the audio. You know, have, have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, I, you know, I've seen some. I definitely, we always joke about getting those emails from the editor. <laughs> you know, page 18, you've put their ERE, it's supposed to be EIR, whatever, right? You know, like, no, right. um, that's the thing. Like, how do you know you made a typo? Someone will tell you. Like, that's, <laughs> that's how you know, right? So, I have seen that to an extent, and I've definitely seen that the more they spend, the better they tend to be customer-wise and the less they even want. And I think part of that is because the higher-end customers, they're busy. They have a full life going on. They're looking to just zero in on that one nugget that's going to allow them to make another $10,000 next week. They don't care if everything in the book is perfect, right? Yeah, yeah they're looking at it for the for the... Not for the not through the process, but through the outcome. They're they're very much outcome driven. Uh, whereas some of the lower quality or lower price point people, they're more like wanting that experience of some per- perfection. And they're probably also comparing you to like a book. They're saying, "Well, I can go on Amazon for ten bucks, and I can buy a four hundred page book from a best-selling author." You know? Yeah, and 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 what they don't know is when an author writes one of those books. They're probably going to hire their own proofreader and their own indexer, and then there's five or six editors in the chain, and yeah. you know graphic artists. There, all these other people who are putting that together because they're hoping for big mass of sales. Yeah, that's no, true. And, and so I, I think, yeah, going back to what I was saying earlier, like the the big key and what I try to do, and and bring it back around to copywriting is I when I you know from that perspective, you learn through experience what people will buy and what they won't buy, mm. right? One of the biggest ones, and this is one that I hate. Like I truly, it's like if I had the power to change people, I would, but I don't, you know? So you have to just accept it. But I, I hate that people buy what they want and not what they need. Yeah. I, hate, I hate that. I hate that people buy the fix instead of the prevention. I hate mm-hmm. that. You can sell prevention, but it's really hard, you know? So. I, you know, and then, and then also, I, I also hate that people buy what's easy versus what's hard. You know, there is a spin on that, which is in the weight loss world. And I think it has to do with guilt because, if, you know, the whole like insanity, you're going to destroy your body. I think that's fulfilling this need, the overweight, because I was that big. There's this guilt that, that we had that we, that we need to be punished to get out of it. And that's what I think that appeals to, like on a deeper psychology side. But anyway, what I, I don't want to you know, have a bunch of time, but the, the, the big key that I bring is, okay, I, I, I kind of think I know what people will buy. And I know that the funnel, as you move up it, you basically have the, the start of the funnel. You want to be able to sell them a, a way to solve a problem that's very urgent to them right now. You want to be able to do it at an affordable price because they don't really know you yet. They probably don't really trust you. Everything on the internet is a scam, right? That's how they do it because it's online. 
And so, so you, you've got to, you know, do everything you can. That's where the guarantees have to be awesome. It's really strong guarantees. Um, and then as you move through that funnel, you want to start breaking it down. You're going to get a lot of feedback. As people buy product one, they're going to be giving you feedback. What about this? And what about this? And, and then you can then start to turn that into sort of the product two, which can be either wider or deeper. So you can apply it to other things or you can go really deep. Or if you're running what you used to run, what a lot of us run, which is a one-person shop, you can just add a bonus rather than have to tear the product up again, right? Yes, and that and that's where I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of the biggest things that I've taught my copy team that they absolutely love. This is just a little tidbit: is I would all the time I would get the product right, and you get sometimes you get product creators who go crazy they just produce so much stuff and you end up having this huge product well what i would do a lot of times is i would take like the sexiest part of that product and i would pull it out of the course and make it a bonus oh. now in reality it's the same thing but just that angle that idea you know and, and then this is a big part where you have to know how people think it's like what's the thing that's going to really sell them and maybe you can make that a bonus or a fast action taker thing, you know, something that you, you, and you kind of pick it up over time. What's the most appealing factor? And you put it in at the right spot. You do like that false close. You're about to close, they, th they think, and they're, on, they're kind of on the edge. I like to toy with people when I write copy. I, when I'm in, I picture them in their minds sitting at the computer going, that sounds pretty good, but I know you seven bucks. Uh, you know, they're on that uh, edge. And then whack, you get them with that last little piece, and they're like, oh, and now I, I have to buy it. Jeez, he's got that too. I'm done. Click, click, click. And they're ordering. You know, that's how I picture I picture that guy or that girl in my head. And that's how I structure the endings of the sales stuff, you know? Yeah, that's that's good. And and the whole idea of taking the best part and breaking it out as a bonus, it's brilliant. I've never heard that before. And it's counterintuitive, too. You would think, why would you take the best part out of it? But, of course, I guess the reason is it works, and they're still getting the same thing. What else have you found that's counterintuitive that works, like a good idea that doesn't seem like it would work that does work, or an idea that seems like a 100% winner that just doesn't work at all? Well, I think, you know, that's a tough one. I, I, I've thought about this quite a bit, and I, I think for me, one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges is, well, I guess I'll say this, and this, I don't have empirical evidence on this, but I often feel like the things that I think will do well, don't, and the, the things, things that I don't think will do well tend to do better. So I've almost learned to shift the way I, the way I think, um, because many times, I think especially the longer you're in the industry, you get focused on the quality of, the, of your competition. And you're like, oh, they suck. They're terrible. They just give you an MP3 file they recorded in 2010, you know, and you start falling for the hype that is the, that is the product and the content that's going to sell. And in reality, it's the copy, right? Um, that's, a big, that's a big deal that I face as well because in our new company, um, we sign experts, right? And every expert comes to the table thinking that they should get 90% of every sale. You know, I'm the expert. I went to college and everything. I should get it all. You guys just go sell it for me. I'm going to kick back and wait around. You know, like, and they don't realize that being an expert 
sadly, there's a lot more experts in topics than there are in marketing, copy, and sales. That's true. I mean, you, and that's one thing that I tell people all the time. If you run an agency or you're a freelance copywriter, literally you hold so much more power than you realize, you know, but, but you get kind of, I think they get afraid because they don't see the bigger picture. They're just doing their job. But man, if you can write copy that converts, you literally write your own paycheck. Well, yeah, I agree with you. And I think there's another reason most copywriters don't see their power. And I would qualify by saying copywriters who are good and who can get results and at least who can have a passable conversation with their clients. So that narrows the field a little bit. But I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, societal rankings and status. It's like, you know, the the most the highest status a copywriter ever had was Don Draper, you know, in Mad Men. And, you know, he was a bad boy and a drunk and a, you know, a creative genius who didn't really know how to put on a suit and tie. And, but he he wasn't like a, a seriously respected business authority. That was another guy who ran the agency who would take him in for a little talking to when he got to right. Right. I mean, and, and so it's hard when, you know, society looks up to these experts. And I mean, all you got to do is, is watch cable TV. I don't care, you know, whether it's Fox or CNN or MSNBC, you know, and, and they introduce a guest and they'll mention an Ivy League school and a large organization and a best-selling book and, um, you know, and, and all of a sudden that credentializes the person. They don't mention the copywriter and and the other promotional people who helped them get there in the first place. Anyway, I wanted to go off on that rant because I think it's important. It's not a self-esteem issue for copywriters. It might be, but it's it's that whole societal ranking thing. Yes, bigger picture. I'll throw this in there. This is more for Nathan. I think he'll enjoy this. Um, I, 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 we're, we're Facebook friends, so I see some of the, the you know your stuff there, and I, and I think it's cool. Can I, I make a comment before you say this? Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. No, I came up with this because I'm like an acronym junkie, and so talking about the society structure, I came up with the acronym MEAN of of what's controlling cultural narratives, and it's media, entertainment, academia, and NGOs, like non government organizations. Wow, that's and, pretty good. That's really good. And I love that it's MEAN because it makes it extra without saying it, it gives that little punch, you know. Um, but those are the big things. I do think that's a big factor because now I will say this kind of pivot from that. My biggest fear, but also my greatest, I guess, uh, I don't know what the word for it is like accomplishment is losing the copywriters, you know, and I've lost three or four that have all gone on to start their own companies. And I think a big part of that is because I really tout them up and I want to make them feel good. And I, and I, and I let them drive products. You asked too about the copy and how does that apply? I really, really believe in letting the copywriter drive the product. And that's one of the ways that I, that I productize as knowledge. So the first thing I do is I put them on a call with the expert and I'm like, get their story, get everything about them. And then let's start thinking, how do we break this down? What's a bonus? What's the main course? What's the upsell? If we do a, 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 a an event, what's it going to be about? Is there, a, is there an opportunity for a podcast? Whatever. I, and I let them tell me. So they come to me and they present to me, not just 
what we're going to sell or how, but what the actual products might wow. be. Wow, that's, that's very impressive. I've never heard of anyone else doing it that way. It does remind me a little bit of Agora Financial, where the copywriter has to pitch the idea to yeah. the copy chief, and, and uh, they can't start working on it until the, the pitch works, but you've taken it to a whole new level. That's amazing. Yeah, the benefit is you get really, really great, strong offers. The only negative is over time, the copywriters are like, I don't. Well, I should just go 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 on my own, you know, because they started, you know. Well, after he's made you ten million, he figures maybe he ought to make himself a little money, right? Exactly. And I don't mind. Like I say, I'm proud of the fact I can call up three or four guys that have all gone on to do great things. One guy just started up. He's, he's now a seven figure software, you know, that he did it, you know. And I'm and it's all him. I'm not saying it's me, but I just I played my piece, you know, to mm-hmm. get him there. So I view it like my coaching tree, like in the NFL, they talk about like what coach came up under who, and the more you get under you, the better. So I feel like they're my downline. <laughs> you know, like I was, I trained this guy who trained that guy. So yeah, you know, that's uh, kind of where I'm at there. So have you ever had a product work that you were certain wouldn't, but circumstances forced you to be part of the team? Or if you're the CEO at this point, circumstances forced you to release it? Uh, let's see. You know, I've had a lot of them like that way that don't work. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of any that have worked that I wasn't expecting. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you one that we just did. So we've been, we have a, one of our brands is a female weight loss brand focusing on menopausal women. So I could not be further from that niche. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. I don't relate. It does a lot, a lot to do with hormones and, you know, all this stuff going on. And we had talks forever about, we want to do a, a, a virtual event where we bring women in and we do like a two day and we actually, um, we're charging three forty nine per ticket. Now this is weight loss. So it's not like, I know most people here are having you know, written for like the biz op stuff. So they're like five grand, 10 grand, you know, right. weight loss. And you don't, you know, it's, it's, you know, you don't go so high, but we, um, I only wanted to sell 150 tickets. I, was, I thought that was a, sh- a stretch goal for, 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 for me. And then at, before we put the sales page out, my, the president of our company is like, you know, why don't we just put 500? I was like, that's nuts, you know? But anyway, we put it on there and we quickly wrote the copy. I just like, I achieved it, but didn't spend that much time on it. I was like, let's just go with it. And anyway, on the day one, we sold over one, Hundred, we're still like three weeks out, and we're already we just hit like three hundred five sold. So we're already double what I really thought we could do. Will we hit five? I don't know. We have a whole uh, cart, you know, uh, sequence coming up soon, so we, that should help. Um, and it's pretty cool because the, the the cool part is there's really no expenses. You know, we're paying the speakers and stuff, but in general, it's probably going to be sixty seventy percent net profits, which as a back end, no ad cost. And that was a shocker to me. And the cool part is we did it in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that now we can run the same event every quarter to a new batch because we run everything as a cycle. So we have everything timed out. Okay. I, I don't want you to give away the family jewels, um, but um, how did you create that kind of value in, in the marketing and in the event itself to get people to spend, how much was it? 500? 349? Yeah, I think this too. That's three forty nine US. Our core audience is in Australia and New Zealand, but for them, that's even a little bit more money. Yeah, 
in versions. Yeah, I don't want to pretend. I can sit here and say, oh, it was my headline, you know, but in reality, I think that we do a really, really good job of building the brand and we don't sell them that much. We're not like pounding on that every week with a new crazy offer. Like we're very, very protective of that brand. And so I do think there was a, there was a need for it. And that was my job as CEO was to see that and say, hey, there's a need here. They want more. How can we give them more? Well, that, that's right. This was a back end. So yeah, it was a back end. Yeah. So you already had the relationship with them and you had already built the brand out. Yeah. So yeah. the brand was already there. And I think the biggest key, though, from a strategy standpoint, which is where I spend more of my time now, spend more of my time on how do we strategize this? And, and that was that the product name that they buy into is they buy a, a product called the ketogenic switch. And uh, the biggest problem that they face is they'll start off strong, they'll do well, and you know, many drop the weight, but then there's always people that just kind of stay stuck and they're not sure what's going on and it becomes a, a lot more mental side. So I came up with the name Unlock the Switch and that's the event. So I made sure to correlate that this is the next step. So if you're stuck, if you're feeling like you can't go on anymore, if you're not getting the results, we're going to spend two days with you one-on-one. And this, I mean, it's, it'll be a big group, but we're going to do a lot of like um, breakouts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that I think was a big piece. There. If I had just called it like your next step in the weight loss process, you know, and there's more to it than that because it actually leads to a back-end sale at the end of the event. But at, the, at the event, we're going to sell like an eight-week group coaching. And I wanted to, and it's going to be more mindset. So I viewed this event as a bridge. So this event is a bridge from the weight only to the weight and mindset to then the mindset. So you need that bridge. Okay, folks. So if you're watching, this is the kind of thinking that builds eight figure businesses. All right. It's not like, how many people can I scam with my idea today? It's like, how can I really add value way above and beyond what anyone else has thought about so far? Oh, man, we could talk for hours, but we can't. Uh, we, we have to wrap this up. This is so good. Can I jump in and ask one question before? Please we do. Yes. Um, for a lot of people productizing their own knowledge, they're at the end point. They've mastered the knowledge. They know all of the stuff. And then to have to go and write copy for someone who's at the beginning point, we have that gap of knowledge sometimes or the curse of knowledge. Uh, what's your... What's your insights or thoughts or maybe advice on getting yourself back to the beginner's mind when you're writing yeah. a piece of copy? I, you know, there's a big reason why I don't write my own stuff. And that's part of it. Um, it is really hard. It's really, really hard because you don't, it's not even that you don't care, but you don't, you don't know. You just, you lose that part of you that remembers being younger or starting out. So one of the big things obviously is, is just research and finding out what people are saying. But I think the biggest thing that you can do is find, and there's so many, whatever, whatever space you're, you're, you're in, there's always young people that want help, that are, you know, they want an intern job or something like, like that. Offer to have them come in, help you out with some stuff and let them interview you. And you'll be amazed at, at what they ask because they'll ask stuff that you haven't thought about in years that is so easy for you, but you would never even think to even teach it. Give you a quick, quick, small, small thing. I did an event way back in the day and I was really pumped. I was teaching Twitter. This is like 2008. So I was like one of the first people like teaching Twitter. I thought it was so cool. I did this whole talk and I get done 
And someone, I was like, questions, questions. And this is older guys. Like, oh, I got one. I was like, oh, here we go. My first one. This is my first event. I'm so pumped. I'm young. I'm like, you know, thinking this is going to be, I thought he was going to ask me about, you know, what do you do with this? Instead, he was like, uh, yeah, I saw like you were able to copy something, but you didn't right click. How'd you, how'd you copy that without them clicking? And I was like, oh, control C? He's like, oh, you write it down, control C. You know what I mean? Like in a million years, <laughs> I never would have thought I need to teach someone how to copy paste, right? You know? Yeah. And so it's a very weird example, but it's the same concept. No, it's There's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you just don't know anymore. So I would definitely say researching, talking to people. I see it a lot now too. You can go on Facebook and say, hey, I'm thinking about putting together a course. I would like to offer three free copies, but here's the catch. You got to be brand new. I want to interview you, learn what you want to know, and I'll give you a free copy and what, you know, that kind of thing. I would do something like that as well. Nice. So you mentioned Twitter and if people want to follow you on Twitter, how do they find you? Yeah. So here's the tough part. They, they, they have to learn how to spell my last name. So well, that, that took me about four sessions, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was the first, our, our first month was just that. Now it's, um, it's twitter.com slash Mike. Giannoulis. That's G-I-A-N-N-U-L-I-S. So there's two ends. Um, yeah, and that's actually where I'm. I'm a frequent Twitterer now. What, however you say it. I mean, I'm on there way more than I should be. Probably going to develop some kind of a Twitter brain problem because I'm just, just going at it. But I really enjoy it. I have a goal to hit 100,000 followers um, in about two about two years um, from, from right now. So I'm able to do a follow-up there and see, but, um, um, right now I'm at just about to hit 2000. So I would love for you to join me and I share everything on there because, because I don't sell much, I have nothing to hold back, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's just all there. Um, so yeah, well, that would be cool if um, you would come on there and find me. Okay. So, um, Mike, you know, I think your name is definitely in the show notes, but for people who have phonographic memories it's g-i-a-n-n-u-l-i-s right yeah it's like sam yeah that's it awesome right. mike thanks for coming on man a wealth of knowledge and i appreciate it i'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well david thank you for putting this together uh-huh. if anybody wants more episodes of the copywriters podcast head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and anything else before we're out of here no, just uh, again, a thank you to Mike. I think this is extraordinary stuff. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network. 